This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrack, and I have to tell you about how I discovered our next guest, the incredible New York-based singer-songwriter, Liz Lieber, who is actually known on social media as Liz Rose Sings. I was scrolling through Instagram one day, and I came across this artist who had this velvety, soothing, rich alto voice. And every song, one after the other, was a cover of the 70s, 80s, 90s. There's also some great originals as well. But I first heard these nostalgic pieces, and I loved each one more than the next. It was like binge watching a favorite series like Schitt's Creek. I couldn't stop listening. And I reached out to her and it didn't happen overnight because many of her songs have gone viral. She's a sensation. She's a busy gal. But eventually it worked out and I'm so grateful to have her on the show. But before we meet her, let me tell you a little bit more about Liz Rose Sings Liz Lieber. With her velvet alto vocals and more hair than she knows what to do with, Liz Lieber is a New York City-based singer-songwriter known for her lush, soulful sound. Influenced by artists like Carole King, Sarah Bareilles, and Amy Winehouse, she brings a unique blend of honesty and sass to her music. Liz discovered her musical passions at a young age, starting piano lessons in first grade and adding voice lessons three years later. With a mission to spread her love of harmonies and catchy hooks around the world, Liz continues to captivate audiences with her powerful voice and infectious energy. You can catch Liz performing live weekly on Facebook and TikTok, as well as sharing fresh tunes across her social media pages. Liz Lieber, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Delightful to have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I have to start with how I heard about you in the first place. And that is the song that I first heard you sing, which is Yesterday Once More by The Carpenters. And I was obsessed. Can you tell us a little bit about what attracted you to this song in particular, what the reaction has been, and a little bit more about what made you want to cover it? So I would say that particular song, actually, it held the same spark that other songs have for me. And I'll explain what I mean by that. When I decide to cover a song, it's very much on a whim. It's like, for some reason, it just enters my head. I kid you not, it just, one day I'm like, huh. (laughs) Like I just, that song just kind of comes to my head. Maybe I read something and it reminds me of that song. And usually when it echoes in my head a certain amount of times, I'm like, after a while, I'm like, okay, I think I need to sing it. So (laughs) that's actually what made me want to cover that song. I do love The Carpenters too. Of course, that's another reason. But yeah, there really was no rhyme or reason other than I had a whim to sing it one day, one afternoon, and I just did it. And that was that. (laughs) Well, it works so well, and I can't wait to share it with our audience. Let's listen to Yesterday Once More by The Carpenters, sung today by Liz Lieber, a.k.a. Liz Rose Sings. Let's all have a listen. When I was young, I'd listen to the radio Waiting for my favorite songs When they played, I'd sing along It made me smile Those were such happy times And not so long ago How I wondered where they'd gone 
just like a long lost friend All the songs I love so Just like before It's yesterday once more Shoo-be-doo-lang-lang lang. Oh my God, Liz, that was so incredible. I could listen to you singing <laughs> you. that song over and over again. It's <laughs> just fabulous. So and I know I'm not alone. This started for you when you were in middle school. You had a passion for sharing your music online, whether it was uploading tracks of your singing on SoundCloud or posting videos on Instagram and YouTube. What did you love initially, if you can take us back to that time of connecting with others through music? And was it something you always saw yourself doing? I think the thing I really loved about it was, I think, you know, for context, I was a bit of a shy kid and music felt like a really natural way for me to connect with other people when maybe talking felt more awkward for me. <laughs> and that's sort of like a funny way to put it, but I think it just it's something that always felt like that connecting line with me to other people. And so I think that's why I really gravitated towards it. It's a different language. That's so interesting. And I know that you love Sarah Brella. She's one of your musical yes. <laughs> influences along with Carol King and other people. And and you and I've read that you've said you'd love to meet her when you have met her, but to have a real sit down with her and talk to her and really ask her a lot of questions. So I'm just wondering, because she also does musical theater, did you have a past in the musical theater world as well as a, as a young girl? I did. And also I did meet her over the summer, by the way. So Bucket list item checked. Wow. <laughs> so, that's awesome. Yes. But yes, I did do musical theater when I was growing up and I went to performing arts sleepaway camp, you know, for a couple summers and things like that. And I did some theater day camps and just lots of different programs. It was a big passion of mine growing up. So yes. What was one of your favorite roles? I think I might even have an idea just from reading about you, but what would stand out for you as one of those moments where it was just an epiphany standing there on that stage and belting out the tunes from what musical? So this is going to be funny. <laughs> so in fourth grade, I played, there were three Dorothys in the was because in fourth grade, you I don't just have one. I knew you were going to say that. I and knew so, you were going to say that. <laughs> and, and, but I got to be the over the rainbow Dorothy. So so, you know, oh, wow. it was kind of the best Dorothy, but, you know, it's fourth grade. Though. <laughs> um, so I think, honestly, that's always what I remember is singing over the rainbow as Dorothy in fourth grade. That was probably like my favorite moment. That's awesome. What do you love about standing on stage? Because I'm going to talk about this whole environment that you've created and this online streaming and this whole world that's gone viral for you and has been, you know, unprecedented. But just being on a stage back at that theater camps and other camps that you went to and just standing there and performing in front of an audience and singing. What do you love about doing that? I think it's the energy you can feel from the audience that's in front of you. There's something really unspoken about it, even if they're totally quiet and you're singing something. It's a very specific type of energy to have people in front of you listening to you sing really anything. So I think that's what I really love about it. There's sort of this unspeakable energy that's in the air. 
Do you feel that energy in the same way? Like, I'm just thinking you became famous during the pandemic yeah. and you, and you helped us because let's face it during the pandemic, we couldn't go to Broadway. In fact, in the most unprecedented thing of all, there was no Broadway for a year. Mm-hmm. Broadway was dark. Like even the, the, the memory yeah. of that shocks me, but it's true. It, it happened. And yet you created this whole world for people where you created a connection that was so mm-hmm. necessary was it at first almost hard to get over the fact that there's not a live audience sitting there, that they're there and you know, they're all there yeah. and they're in fact hanging on your every note, if you will. Yeah. But, but they're not physically in the space. I think the very first time I did a live stream, it was certainly strange because you just, you, I mean, I think the good thing is you can read people's comments. So you're not in a total like black hole, if you will. But, yes. but it is, it is definitely strange at first knowing that people are there, but at the same time, they're not like in the physical sense. Yes. Uh, so it was strange at first, but I got used to it pretty quickly. Um, I think in general, I've always been a bit of a creature of the internet, like just making content. Uh, you know, I wasn't live streaming my whole life or anything, but just putting videos out and whatnot was something that was native to me. So I think it was very quick for me to adapt to mm-hmm. having a virtual audience. So for our audience members who may not know the term live streaming or digital content creator, just to sort of, I don't know if you know the uh, Excuse My Grandma series with Gail and, and the granddaughter. They're actually New Yorkers and Palm Beachers. And it's a grandmother who the granddaughter decodes all of the millennial Gen X language for the grandmother. So I, I sometimes like to decode for our audience because they don't know all these terms. So how would you describe live streaming? For someone 45 plus who may not know what it is exactly. So live streaming is essentially, in my case, it's using my phone, but you can use a phone or computer as your camera. And I'm just going to use Facebook as an example here just to make this a little simpler. But if you go on Facebook and you're going to make a post, you can press go live. And essentially, it's like instead of recording a video, you're videoing in real time. It's it's a real time show on the Internet. I don't know if that explains it well enough, but really well. (laughs) The best I've ever heard. (laughs) I finally understand it. (laughs) That's fantastic. So the pandemic hits. Let's just fast forward a little. 2020 you begin this live streaming, which mm-hmm. is kind of really cool. You're creating like a live show, if you will. You can imagine the Sonny and Cher show or the Carol Burnett show right in people's living rooms or bet, you know, anywhere, wherever your laptop is. And can you explain to our audience, some of whom may not understand, just here you are, you're playing this on your phone, you're in your room. And what happened? Like, this was pretty cool stuff because I'm sure you just did it in the beginning because you wanted to sing. You're going, wait a minute, I'm not going to not sing for, you know, however long this is going to take. And suddenly there's this, there's this energy and there's this audience happening. Yeah. So I I could definitely explain that. So when I did my very first live stream, like single live stream, it was in a Facebook group. It was a private Facebook group that was and shout out to this group. They're awesome. But it was especially active during the pandemic. It's called Quarantine Karaoke. Yes. <laughs> and so I joined that group. And, you know, at the time, the idea of live streaming like publicly was just a little too scary for me at that point in time because I had never done it before. And I'm like, what if my friends see me? For me personally, <laughs> like being in front of strangers is a lot less scary than being in front of people who know me really well, which right. I think is kind of funny. Anyways, uh, point being that I decided to go live in this group, which had several hundred thousand people in it at the time. So it wasn't a small group, but it was private. So that was sort of the key thing for me. I was like, oh, it's private, but there's an audience. That's kind of a neat combo that you don't always get on Facebook. Uh, So that's kind of where the audience started because I went live 
all of a sudden, just using my phone, I didn't even have all this mic set up or anything. It was literally <laughs> yes. just my phone. And I started singing, I'll never forget, I started singing the song uh, Smile by from Nat King Cole. I'd like Beautiful. to say. Beautiful. When your and, heart is breaking, that smile? Yeah, yeah smile. Oh, yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah, so I started <laughs> singing that on my phone and suddenly the numbers are just like climbing. It's like at like 700 something people. And I, I think oh it probably... It was probably averaged out around four to 500 for the whole time I was on, but I just kind of kept going. I was literally in pajamas. <laughs> I was in a pajama shirt and like un- I had these unicorn leggings on. I, it's very specific. I remember it. And so anyway, so the way my audience came about was through that group. And then after a couple months of just streaming in there, I streamed in there a couple days a week because, you know, we were all quarantined and it just felt like the right thing to do. I could make some people happy. And eventually on my birthday that same year in 2020, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to bring this stream to my music page on Facebook because I think it's time to let it spread around a little more than just this group. And so my audience followed me over there and the rest is history. So that's really where I started. And then, you know, I'll just quickly mention, I eventually started streaming on TikTok as well because I caught fire over there later. And, and you then, went viral and then, and then on Instagram a year later. So it, everything just kind of happened, this domino effect. And I want to explain to our audience what viral means. Viral is really good. It's not like sure. a cold. It's, <laughs> it's not like it's not like the, epide- the uh, pandemic. You went viral on Instagram. A year later, you went viral on TikTok. How would you just explain viral to people? So basically, it was actually TikTok and then Instagram, but the order really doesn't matter. It was all craziness at the end of the day. So... What viral means, correct? So basically, it's like <laughs> when you post something on TikTok, for example, you notice that the numbers start climbing really fast. And it's kind of a whirlwind, wow. to be honest. Um, wow. And it's not even very predictable. Some people claim you can predict when something will go viral. I, I claim you really can't. I posted things that I thought wouldn't do that well that like went exploded. So you never know. But yeah, so it's basically just you post a video and it starts getting traction very quickly within like the first couple of hours. And then it just sort of spirals out from there in a good way, though. It just wow. keeps going. It explodes and, and gets were more and more views. Were you flipping out? What were you thinking when you were watching this? I can't imagine what you were thinking because you've been doing this sort of in this safe place. It sounds like it was a pretty big group, the quarantine pandemic group on Facebook, but it was still like manageable. It had sort of defined borders, if you will. And now suddenly you're on TikTok, which is a huge platform. Imagine like the biggest concert hall in the world and the stage in the world. And there you are and you're seeing those numbers. Like I know I'm on TikTok and I'm like 200. Wow, I went to 400 today. Cool. This was was like 10 million, I think. Oh, was, my was that was my most God. viral video. That was that's not typical, but that was crazy. <laughs> and what are you thinking as you're watching this and doing this? Like you're live creating and then live seeing the result. Like it's must have been just such a heady trip. It is a heady trip. And I think something that I've always had to maintain is like, you know, because I've had multiple videos go viral now, ranging between like one and 10 million views. But the thing is, I always just maintain the sense of like why I'm doing it in the first place, because going viral is such a crazy experience. And it's definitely like a dopamine rush, for lack of a better word. But at the end of the day, though, like I'm always trying to find my peace in the midst of all that, because it's very easy to get addicted to that. And I just know that whether it's 10,000 views or 10 million, I'm doing the music to heal some people's hearts as well as my own. So that's what I always come back to. But going viral, to answer your main question, is nuts. (laughs) And um, congratulations, really. Thank you. 
You know, it's not an accident because you just have one of those voices. It's funny because I just was talking to a very famous writing professor from NYU who wrote a book about writing and how to get your writing noticed. And she was saying that there's there's a quality in an incredible voice, whether it's Barbara Streisand or Kelly Clarkson, that you know, like within a couple of notes or the first few bars, they're instantly recognizable. And that's what makes mm-hmm. them a great singer is they, they have this great tone and it's a tone that's inimitable. It's, it's theirs alone. And you have that in a very Thank big you. way. And it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's, it's so cool. Okay, a couple of questions. When's your birthday? July 8th. July 8th. So it's great. That's uh, that was part of the story. And also the next question I have for you. So now this is happening and suddenly your passion for music is becoming your career. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that was ever your, in fact, I believe you studied marketing, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? I, yes, I did. And uh, so I worked in PR for a bunch of years and I was working in advertising up until actually early this year. There was a layoff at my company and I was like, this feels like it's fate. And so then this year I started doing music as my full-time focus. Music and content creation, I would say. I call myself a musical content creator because you might have seen I've done some content for Casio, etc. So I'm working with brands as well. So it's sort of this, it's sort of this like mishmash of being a musician as well as a content creator, which is very interesting sort of in between. Do you think, because I always want to, you know, it's, I have an uncle who always asks me, ask the artist or the author or the celebrity or whoever it is, well, you're, you're a celebrity too now, about their process. And I think I'm starting to understand a little bit about your process, mm-hmm. but also the fact that you took piano from a very young age. And I was wondering, were you one of those people who had to be cajoled and begged into studying piano or was it something that you Sorry. really took to? Okay. So my dad is going to laugh when he's listening to this <laughs> and, my, and my mom, but uh <laughs> So with piano, it was really interesting because when I started, it was classical training and I didn't really like playing classical music. Although funnily now, I actually really enjoy listening to classical music every so often. So as you grow, your taste change. But when I was little, like practicing just all the little technical things, really, it was not my favorite. And my dad kind of had to like be like, Liz, did you practice today? You know, (laughs) Um, but as my brother and I grew older, he's a professional pianist as well. Wow. And so we both took piano lessons. And anyways, as I was growing older, our piano teachers changed and I started learning chords and learning Mm. pop songs and jazzier songs. And that stuff really drew me in. And I was a lot better practicing that stuff. So I would say my practicing changed as I did stuff that I really gravitated towards my practicing got more natural for me at least that's how I remember it my dad might beg to differ at times I'm sure but that's how I remember it (laughs) because your piano playing is so good and I always think to myself how lucky are you and a famous celebrity vocal coach that I know named Elaine Overholt always my daughter's a singer as well in actually in New York music theater and she always said to Lily, you know, it's really important to play, accompany yourself. Don't rely always on it. You know, yeah. what, a, what a great double threat, triple threat person you can be if you've got that piano. So, so good on you that you did that. And, that you know, and, and I think that that stood you in great stead. When you started to get hooked and were enjoying it, because suddenly it was chords and it was fun and it was playing the piano, would you practice an hour a day? Like, how long were you at those keys, if you will? 
I'd like to say about an hour. I think, you know, once I started taking voice lessons, that really took more of my interest, I think, over the piano. But I still took piano lessons through early high school or so. So it's always something that I maintained. But I think the singing with the piano really took my interest the most just because singing always came the most natural to me. I mean, I did take lessons for many years, but it felt like I just latched onto it the easiest and the yes. piano kind of was secondary to that. But yeah, I think I, I would practice about an hour most days. Some days I think I didn't practice, if I'm going to be honest, because I, I know my parents are going to listen to this. They're going to be like, you didn't <laughs> practice an hour every day. What are you talking about? Um, but I got, as I got older, I think I, I got better with practicing because I really realized how much it helps. And I also got to play things that I loved. So, so cool. And you picked up the guitar. And I think you probably, I would think, found the guitar easier because you had all of this, you know, musical training. Now you had, you know, voice and you had piano. Would you agree with that? Or was it studying a whole different beast to pick up the guitar? Um, Well, I only, so I picked up the guitar uh, about a year ago. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) so, and I would say, well, I mean, having any kind of musical background is helpful for picking up secondary instruments. I think anyone would probably say that. The one thing I will say though, is like, having to have calluses on your fingers and that whole piece of it, like the way you have to use your fingers is so different that that was almost like, I almost felt like a total newbie. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I still, I mean, half the time, I mean, it's been one year. So like, I still am very much a newbie at guitar, but I do think that like, I interestingly started out with finger picking on guitar first rather than strumming. A lot of people start out with strumming. I actually found strumming more difficult. So I started with finger picking and they do say that if you play piano, sometimes finger picking can be the easier thing to start with because it requires a certain kind of coordination. So that's just a little fun fact. But yes, I have not been playing guitar very long, but I do really enjoy it and I've been enjoying writing songs on it as well. So I was going to say, so I know you're a burgeoning songwriter and we're going to be hearing one of your amazing new songs that that there's also a video of and and I'm going to actually play it for our listeners, but I'm going to encourage them to to watch the video as well, which is so cool, especially with that Wizard of Oz uh, explanation mm-hmm. off the top of the show. But I'm just wondering, do you think that playing the guitar has helped your songwriting because it's oh, working gosh. another part of your brain? Absolutely. I mean, I actually just I just finished doing um, crowdfunding for a song that I wrote on guitar, and I co-wrote it with. Shout out to my co-writer Jack Demption. He wrote "Peaceful Easy Feeling" for the Eagles and a lot of other things, and wow. he's he's a legend. <laughs> Um, so definitely look him up if you haven't heard of him, but, um, but writing with him, I've been using my guitar. So it's been like huge actually for my songwriting. Uh, there's certain things that are hard to get from a piano that you can get from guitar and vice versa. I would say there's a movement to guitar you. that is really appealing, especially for the more upbeat stuff that I'm liking to write these days. So yeah, it has made a huge difference to answer your question. That's so cool. So lo and behold, Not only did hundreds and thousands of people tune in, but eventually you started streaming on your own Facebook music page. Mm -hmm. And of course, we know what happened on TikTok. You went viral. Instagram, you went viral. And you had to MacGyver together, I would put forward, (laughs) a set of lights and sound systems and experimented with different mics. And when I see you doing this for millions of followers, it really looks like it has effortless grace. You make it look so easy. I'm wondering what your set looks like and what tips and advice you have for aspiring singer-songwriters who want to do a similar thing in their own home studio. Like, was it hard to put all this together? Because it looks so easy right now for you. Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with singer-songwriter Liz Lieber when we come back. Back in a moment. 
Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio. And just before the break, I was asking you, Liz, about setting up your own home studio. So it was a little bit of a learning curve. I would say I have, I think, some innate technical savviness. And so that does help. Yes. But I basically was just looking up during the pandemic. I was like, I just wanted to have better sound for my streams. And by the way, you know, I'll, I'll say this for any aspiring musicians who might be listening. Just start with your phone. There's no like, don't have this be a hurdle to starting to stream or doing anything. Mm-hmm. I always encourage people who message me about this to like, just use your phone at first and then work this stuff out in the meantime, because you never want gear to get in the way of just like putting yourself out there. That's so awesome. Celebrities are actually recognizing your work. People you admire have become fans and started following you. Can you tell us how you felt when Kristen Chenoweth, who played Glinda in the original Broadway production of Wicked, started following you on Instagram? Like, that's pretty cool. Oh my gosh. I, I had like, I about had a heart attack. This, the funny thing is like the celebrities who have found me, including her, they haven't just been like famous. It's just not like any old celebrity. It's people who were actually kind of integral parts of my childhood and like high school years. It's just a very kind of strange and eerie coincidence because (laughs) I literally would, I might as well have broken my CD for Wicked when I like, I listened to that thing so much. And my mom will tell you, I used to sing along as Alphaba. (laughs) <laughs> to Kristen Chenoweth, like like duetting her oh, in my room. So cool. And so like when she followed me, I was like, oh my God. And I was like, mom, you know? <laughs> so that was like wild for me, to be honest, because she's someone who I've always really admired. I think her like, her she's so versatile as a vocalist. Um, I could go on and on about Kristen Chenoweth, but that was really wild for me. And, you know, like the Eric McCormack, like who plays Will from Will and Grace followed me. And I was like, oh my God, I like loved that show in high school. Like, are you kidding me? So like these people find me who not only are they celebrities, you know, which, which is definitely really cool. But I think what's even cooler is that they actually held a really special place in my heart growing up. So that's really that's so been, has nice. been really neat. Um, but yeah, when Kristen followed me, I about fell over. So, Oh my God. <laughs> what has been the reaction? I remember interviewing an on-air TV personality once who said, she, and this was in Toronto where this is based out of, and she was part of Much Music, which is like your MTV. And she was walking down the street and started hearing whispering like, shh, 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 shh. she realized that people were whispering about her, that people recognized her. Yeah. And I would think with the amount of followers and you're on camera, it's not like this is audio. Did you start to have a sense that people were recognizing, oh my God, that's that girl from TikTok. That's that girl from Instagram. That I'd say not necessarily like a lot yet. I think it started to happen more as time has gone on. Like I was getting my nails done one day and this lady (laughs) recognized me from Facebook. So that like that was kind of a strange thing, you know, but I think... um, 
I'm still enjoying some anonymity right now, which 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 I'm not, I'm not necessarily complaining about, but I guess that, that probably could and will change as time goes on. But yeah, here and there, I think I've had someone kind of like take take a double take at me and be like, you know, like, but um, nothing too crazy yet. It's so important that parents be supportive, and I know we're very supportive of our kids, and it's so important, and I think it can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think your parents have been very supportive yes. of you. They're t- Team Liz, Team Liz Lieber oh, yes. all the way. How would you say, what is your success and all of this sort of eruption meant to them? Like, what are they saying? They must be like, wow. They're they're taking the ride with me like every day. They're just, I think, really like amazed at these like things that happen, whether it's Christian Chenoweth commenting on something I did or, you know, just like people, what they're saying in the comments or a video going viral or, you know, whatever it is that's happening at the moment. They're just, I think, in it for the ride. And also they're very proud of me. And I think, I think it makes them feel really happy that they encouraged me to do arts growing up because it obviously yes. paid off, you know. So true. So what happened with Sarah Bareilles? What can you tell us about oh, that meeting? Uh, so for my birthday, I was gifted a meet and greet to meet her before her show at Rock. She was doing these shows to support a venue here in New York called Rockwood Music Hall. And uh, she had a meet and greet before. And so I was gifted it for my birthday, which was like a huge <sighs> shock to me. And like, honestly, it's just amazing. I got to sit with her and like maybe 10 other people just talking for like 45 minutes. And it was <sighs> like, it was, it was wonderful. So like Sarah Burrell says, I'm putting all these jigsaw pieces of the puzzle together. Would you like to one day create a musical like Her Beautiful Waitress? You know, I've thought about this. I think that it's not on my list of things to do, but I feel like if it does happen, it'll happen similarly to the way it has happened for Sarah and other people, which is that it kind of just emerges. Like someone mm-hmm. approaches them and like, hey, we have this musical and we think your musical style would be a perfect fit. I feel like if I do write for a musical, it'll happen kind of by accident. Yes. And so that's that's where I'm at with that concept right now, because I think I'm not necessarily pushing to do a musical right now, but I think it could definitely happen sort of as a byproduct of everything else that I'm doing, if that makes sense. That's really, really cool. So you're writing original music mm-hmm. and we're going to be playing this wonderful piece that you wrote called No Place Like This. And you've just released this gorgeous single. And by the way, I want to tell everyone there's even a music video of it. And I understand it's a love song inspired by The Wizard of Oz, which now mm-hmm. ha- makes even more sense. <laughs> Can you tell us more about your brainchild, this gorgeous original song? Yeah. So one day I was scrolling on social media and the Wizard of Oz came into my head. I really don't remember how. This is how my brain works. It's just, it's very random and things just sort of pop into my head. And um, I was like, you know, I was just thinking like no place like home. I'm like, there's something to that there. You know, I was like, maybe not a song called no place like home, but maybe there's a love song somewhere in there. It just, it kind of just occurred to me and I went to my piano and I started singing a melody and just like hashing out chords. And it, it kind of just fell out of me within that day. This was like about wow. a, a little over a year ago now. And it was just really exciting because I, I don't know, I'd never heard a love song based on The Wizard of Oz before. And it just felt like something that was a special treasure that I had created. A treasure to me, at least. So incredible. Well, I think it's a treasure for all of us. And I'm so excited to share this with our audience. Let's all have a listen to No Place Like This by Liz Lieber, a.k.a. Liz Rose Sings. I used to watch Wizard of Oz on my grandma's 16-inch TV. I saw Dorothy Gale 
and the curl of her hair, and thought maybe she's just like me. Little did I know when I grow up, I'd find someone who makes me feel as beautiful as Dorothy was. But I don't need ruby slippers or a blue and white dress. I don't need a wizard, got no interest. I don't need a road laid with yellow brick. I was home after our first kiss. 'Cause there's no place like this. There's no place like this. Growing up, I fell in love with a scarecrow and a tin man or two. Just empty heads and emptiness. Till I met you, then you came along and filled me up, reminded me that I am not as lost as Dorothy was, and I don't need ruby slippers. Or a blue and white dress. I don't need a wizard. Got no interest. I don't need a road laid with yellow brick. I was home after our first kiss. 'Cause there's no place like this. There's no place like. Watching the sun setting, letting our hair get thin, lost in each other's kiss. 'Cause there's no place like this. There's no place like this. There's no. So beautiful, Liz. Did you cry、okay. after you finished that song? It was definitely, it? yeah. I think it was. It was an emotional song for me.、Um, I think it's like every song I write has its emotional, <laughs> sort of like a emotional after period of just like soaking it in, yes, and sitting with it. So yes. Do you start by writing on your voice notes or on your notes on your phone? Like, what's your process? Is it waking up in the middle of the night with a notepad by your bed? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> no,、um, I mean, usually it does start with my phone. I'll usually have my voice memo thing. I'll press record and I will just 
put down whatever. If I have, Usually it's a melodic idea that I have, just so I don't forget it, because I will forget it if I don't record it. And sometimes that happens in the middle of the night. Sometimes it's like three in the morning and I'm like, I can't, I need to write this down or I need to record yes. it rather. So yeah, usually it starts with my phone and then I go to my piano or guitar now these days and I'll just kind of hash out whatever chords feel right. There's really no other way to describe it. It's just sort of, it's an intuition thing for me, what emotionally hits right with the lyrics and the melody. And so a lot, it's kind of just like an amalgam of everything at once, I find. But I think the melody usually comes to me first, and then I add the music after, and the lyrics sort of match with the melody usually. Usually I'm just thinking like what lyric matches. Usually I'm ad-libbing first, like, does it like this? Does it like this? And then I, and then I come up with the lyrics that way. Wow, wow. Mumble jumbo. Yeah. <laughs> very, very cool. You know, it's funny, like as a writer, like I'm a writer, writer, not music mm-hmm. writer, you know, there's that moment of angst to you write. And then I find a lot of the writing is angst filled, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then having written is sort of joyful, right? And blissful because you're like, wow, it really worked. And you have that emotional, let's yeah. say final conclusion or line or whatever. For you, is it sort of emotional all the way through? Is it like you can't breathe until it's like, what, what is the emotional journey like? Before you answer that, we're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be right back after this. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740. And just before the break, I was asking you, Liz, about the emotional journey of your songwriting. I think it depends on the song, honestly. I think some songs are the emotions hit after I've written it, in a sense. And then I'd say more so, though, it tends to be when I'm writing the song, which is why I think that, you know, some people like are constantly writing music. And I aspire, I think, to be more like that ultimately. But it's such an emotional process for me when I do write music that I have to like space it out a little bit because it can be so it can demand a lot of my energy. But yeah, usually it's just it really just depends on the song and what it's about. Like this latest song that I put out a demo for um, the other day. And by the way, I'll probably be releasing that sometime in February, but stay tuned. Cool. <laughs> but the latest song that I wrote, it was more upbeat. And I think it just felt more relaxing, actually, to mm-hmm. write that one and less emotional in a sense. But there's a, I always, the thing is, though, with my songs, I always like there to be a little bit of a bittersweet moment there somewhere yes. to create a little bit of contrast. So I don't know if that answers your question. It's complicated. Uh, I guess. <laughs> it is complicated. It's like it's the great. Facebook relationship status. It's complicated. <laughs> you know, I'm wondering if that three-person Dorothy show that you were in, if that director has been in touch with you, the grade four person, uh-huh. saying, wow, you did this song about Dorothy. 
Uh, no, I don't even, to be honest, I don't actually remember their name, so they probably <laughs> okay. don't remember me either. It's been, it's been a, a, it's a been while a since then, um, but that would be funny. On TikTok, I often mention bliss quotes that I love and I share them with our audience. So I love that you have a quote that really resonates for you by George Bernard Shaw, which is life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. Mm-hmm. That quote's fabulous. Can you tell us more about what it means to you and how it helps you as an artist? Yeah, I think that when you're in music, it's very easy to, and by the way, you know, I've been a subject to this too. It's like, I'm guilty as well. We all do it sometimes as artists, but it's very easy to blame outside circumstances for why something isn't doing well, why something isn't happening for us, et cetera. (laughs) And of course, there are always things happening outside of us that we can't control. So that's not totally false, right? But I think I've really learned over time that I can ultimately create my reality in a sense, not to get too much into that realm here, although I am a very spiritual person. So that's like a whole nother conversation. But I think that I am very into manifestation and the idea that we can, to some extent, create what we want to see in the world for ourselves. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's just been something I really believe in. And I think I hammer home when people ask me these kinds of questions, because I think we can mold what we want in life to some extent and and create what we want to see. Yeah. I agree with you. Well, you did this in a sense, even with this song. And I love this story is that, I mean, first of all, I love that the song emphasizes the importance of finding happiness and meaning in the simplicity of everyday life. That's just beautiful in itself. But what I love is that you saw this mixer, this mixing engineer person, Craig Alvin. (laughs) And I love that you reached out to him. And I think this is so important for audience to know and for all artists to know that it's work and you have to, you have to work Mm -hmm. at it. It's not just the creativity and the beauty of your voice and all of the things that you naturally have, but also that you have this, this marketing background. I think that you, you get that, Hey, it's got to go somewhere and you've got to reach out. And you reached out to this Craig because you loved this mixing work that he had done on Casey Musgrave's golden hour. And I just think it's such a brilliant thing that you did and that more people need to do. Can you tell us more about how that whole process evolved? And most of all, the fact that it wasn't that difficult. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, I had finished doing a demo of this song, which I mean, actually the demo is what you hear now on platforms. It's just very well mixed. It's a mixed and mastered demo if you will. Demo just really, for anyone who's wondering like, what does that mean, demo? It just means that it's like, I produced it, I did all the instruments, everything's done, but nothing is mixed or mastered yet. That's mm-hmm. at least my form of a demo. Some people consider a demo like just doing your guitar on a voice memo on your phone. So demo can mean different things to different people. But for me, that's right. what it means. So mm-hmm. I had a demo that was finished, but it needed a mix because that's arguably one of the most important things when you put up music. Because if you're going to play it on the radio, it has to be mixed. Otherwise, it might not sound so great. So, you know, after finishing the song, I was like, what if I were to think of any album or song that has the kind of mix that I would want this to have? What would that mm-hmm. be? And immediately I thought of the whole album, Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. Amazing album, by the way. Highly recommend it. Just so masterful. But I just have always, when I listen to it, my ears are just like, oh, this is just, oh, everything's mixed <laughs> in the perfect place. And, and I was like, you know, what if I just see who mixed that? And so I looked and I found there's, I think, a few different mixing engineers who worked on that album, but his was the first name that I found. And so I looked him up. He had a website. And I reached out and he has someone who interfaces for him, like an assistant. And um, I interface with his assistant. And next thing you know, like I had money saved up to have him mix my song. 
Wow. And, you know, yeah. That's and, you know, fabulous. mixing mixing with these Grammy award-winning engineers is not the cheapest, <laughs> but I have to say you do get what you pay for and it was so worth it for me. So yeah, that's how that happened. And I actually, and that sort of leads me to say, I just did crowdfunding for my latest song that I wrote because I wanted to hire him again. And I was nice. like, man, this is expensive. But I knew, you know, when you have something good, you go back to it in music, especially. Mixing is an art. And when you have a good mixing engineer, it's great to go back to it. But of course, I was like, I think I need to raise money to do this, which is a very scary thing to do. But yeah, so I just actually, I met my goal within like two hours, <laughs> which was a, which is amazing to That's hire him amazing. again to do my latest <laughs> song, which will be out next year. But uh, yeah, so that was like, he's just an amazing engineer. And I'm really glad that I got to work with him. And I'm happy to work with him again in the future. So we can look forward to even working on recording some other originals that you've written. We're looking for what's the next thing we can look forward to in your original music. So I have a song that I just I put out a demo actually on YouTube the other day. It's called Play Pretend. And there's a clip on Instagram as well and TikTok, a shorter version. And I co-wrote it. I I actually I wrote a bunch or like about 75% or so of the lyrics a few years ago, give or take. And I was with my co-writer, Jack Demption, on the phone the other day. And um, just to get to the point, you know, I was going through my phone, I found these lyrics. He was like, I think we should finish that. And so we did. So I put out the demo of that song recently. It's been very, people are like really <laughs> into this song. And so I was like, you know, I think I need to put out, I think I need to get this demo mix and like, I need to put it out on platforms. So that's, that's, great. that's So this all just kind of unfolded not very naturally and organically. I was not planning on putting out really any new music on Spotify or anything for at least another several months, but sometimes life unfolds differently than you plan. Absolutely. But so. you're, listen, you're <laughs> doing all the right things. Liz, you have described your sound as nostalgic, honest, and warm. I have a few adjectives to add, which is comforting, soulful, and unforgettable. And it really is. There's something about it that it seeps into your veins. I don't know what it is. And you just, I don't know, it just sort of stays with you. I actually played one of your Christmas songs for a bunch of people yesterday and I played it about five or six times. And finally people said, it's really good, but yeah, just don't play it over. Uh, I played it six times. There that's was, so funny. It was the Christmas one. It's like in the top tier of your Instagram. It was that good. <laughs> Thank you. How did you begin to carve out your own unique sound? Because it's so interesting as a writer, you need a sound, you need a voice, a writer's mm-hmm. voice that is uniquely yours. And as we talked about there's the Barbara Streisands and the Sarah Bareilleses. And I'm not talking about your tone, because obviously that's what you're born with. That's who you mm-hmm. are. But your sound. Do you know, does this make sense, this question? Like I think, how you, yeah. how you like, found your mojo? Yeah, I think I think it's something that happens over time. It's definitely not like an overnight process. Because I think all my influences vary so much. Like I love Holland Oates. I love a nice groovy R&B like, ooh. You know, I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then I also love... I love like a Martina McBride, like this one's for the girls. Like I love that too. (laughs) And there's just so many things that I love. And I think it's just been sort of pulling at those things that I love and creating something that I love that's kind of an amalgam of all those things. I think that's kind of what every artist is if you think about it. Like they maybe remind you a little bit of someone, but they're still their own artist. And so I think I've I've just been pulling from different things, not necessarily consciously, but... I think just naturally, I'm inspired by all these different types of sounds like Elton John, Billy Joel, Sarah Bareilles, Martina McBride, it's, you know, everywhere, every which way. Everywhere, yeah. And I think eventually it just kind of came to a point where I'm like, yeah, I think I think I have what my sound is. You know, it's just it's just me. 
So awesome. You recently formed a partnership, and I think you mentioned a little bit about this with Cassio Music, your mm-hmm. brand you've always loved, and you're working on content for them. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Uh, yes. So I started working with them in, I think it was around April or May of this year. And essentially, I partner with them as an influencer. And uh, they gave me this beautiful new Pervia keyboard to promote, which is, I've been, so I've been a Casio user for years. So this was something, I've been a Casio girl before they even knew about me. And wow. so I had my Privia and they upgraded me and it's been wonderful because I essentially, I get to make posts for them for income and it's, but it's like the most fun thing in the world. And I'm just so grateful That's to be part of them. It is a dream. That's yeah. a dream come true. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't and get better than that. It doesn't. That's- so I love all of your songs and I wanted to play like 20 of them on this show, but my producer said I wasn't allowed and <laughs> I understand. Was just terrible. <laughs> just kidding, Olivia, but you know what I'm saying? It was, I, I could have just played all like just a little bit of talking, all music all the way yeah. through, but it's a talk radio show. But here's a little clip of a song that's done really well on your social media. And that song is that's what friends are for. And we just have a little clip of this. So here's a listen of Liz Lever singing That's What Friends Are For. And if I should ever go away Well then close your eyes and try To feel the way we do today And then if you can remember Keep smiling, keep shining Knowing you can always count on me For sure That's what friends are for For good times and bad times I'll be on your side forevermore That's what friends are for Oh, I love your voice. That was Thank absolutely you. gorgeous. Thanks Thank for letting you. me play that, that extra song. That was really, really great. I, I have so many things I want to ask you, and I know we're running out of time, but I'm going to ask you this. What is the best advice anyone ever gave you? To be myself. I know it sounds cliche, but it is, I, I think, to be authentic is maybe the way I would put it now. Mm-hmm. Authenticity is key to everything in life doing things from a place of this is me, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Not from a place of trying to impress people, not from a place of trying to push for something. It's just standing in your you-ness. So I think that's the best advice I ever got from many different people. It's great advice. And it can be scary to do that, right? Sometimes it can be scary. scary, Of course. To just be vulnerable and be yourself completely without those veils and those masks. And that can be really hard. Also, in in researching you, I discovered we have a lot of things in common in terms of our favorite movies and TV shows. Mm -hmm. One of your fave TV shows is Marvel's Mrs. Maisel. Me too. Oh my God. The outfits alone, all of it. And just the acting and the characters and the themes and all of it. I love it. And, uh, And Forrest Gump, what do you love the most about that iconic film? Um, well, I, as you've noticed, I really love things from the 70s and the 60s. I just love things from the past. And it's a very nostalgic feeling movie for me. I haven't actually watched it in a long time. But when I do, it just gives me this like warm, cozy feeling. And I love Tom Hanks. So 
It's great. Also, my other favorite show is Shit's Creek. I know you mentioned that earlier in the Me show. Too. Are you serious? No, yeah, can I explain something to you? I'm like, you No, you don't understand. Me too. Like, you know, it's not even funny. Like, to the point where I interviewed Andrew Barnsley, the executive producer, and I explained to him that, you know, the way there's whatever the six seasons, and I watched every season six times. I, I've watched the series oh God, like 400 yeah. times. Like, I'm, I, and I'm desperate. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to, you know what? Oh. My birthday crown is a uh, birthday baby. It says birthday baby. Oh my God! You're so lucky. I'm not. I'm not an impressionist. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Yes, fold it. I always just quote fold in the cheese. You just fold it in. Oh, that's the best. (laughs) I don't. How do you do that? Yeah, I I don't know, David. (laughs) You fold Fold it it in. in. (laughs) Anyways, I I go off my Shit's Creek rambles. Oh God, that's okay. We definitely uh, have similar viewing viewing, uh, enjoyment. I wanted to also mention how I first came to connect with you. And I want to tell our audience that Mm -hmm. somebody wrote a comment on your Instagram saying like being picky about something and talking about, oh, this video wasn't as perfect as your other 10,500 million plus videos. And right away you said, I'm making a video about this, not so that people rag on this person. Please, everyone don't rag on this person. Give them a hard time. But it really bothered me. And I wrote back to you saying that like the gifts of imperfection by Brene Mm -hmm. Brown, that we're human. And I don't know of a singer from Celine Dion in, in the past Poor mm-hmm. lady who's having a hard time. But any any singer in the world, from the Barbara Streisands and Celine Dion's to, you know, to anyone, to, to the Beyonce's and Taylor Swift's, that is perfect out there in a live, in a live situation. Until yeah. you go into a recording studio, you, you don't have perfection. But what I wrote to you was, but somehow your result every time consistently, and why I <laughs> why I binge watch your videos like Shits Creek is because the result in my opinion, is utter perfection. And mm-hmm. I really mean that. Thank you. So I wrote that to you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people liked my comment because they agreed, obviously. And you also have a million followers. And then <laughs> and then I invited you and you said, yes, I'd love to do the show. So can you speak to that perfectionist in all of us and how you deal with that as an artist and a creator? Because it's a hard business, man. It's it hard. Is hard. Yeah. I think it's a fine balance because... Sometimes I think there's certain elements of perfectionism can, that can actually be helpful, like just being detailed about things and being really complete and thorough with everything, especially in music, making sure, you know, I'm preparing this like file right now for this mixing engineer, making sure everything, there's no weird like breasts popping out there, like what's going on, you know? So it's good to be detailed, I think. And there's a fine line between being really detailed and thorough and being so perfectionistic to the point where you don't actually accomplish, get anything accomplished. Because if you're such a perfectionist that you need to do something over and over again, then you just never put it out, then that's obviously inhibiting. So I think there's a balance to be had. And I think sometimes certain little elements of perfectionism can actually maybe help, but not too much of it because it can be damaging for sure. Absolutely. There's a question that we ask everyone at the end of this program. So of course, I'm going to ask it to you as well. What is bliss for Liz Lieber? Bliss for me is singing in the park. It is making music, even if no one was watching. And it is being with people that I love. And also dogs. I'm not even kidding. I love dogs. Like They actually bring me bliss. (laughs) I don't have one, but I will one day. (laughs) That is lovely. I have to say it's been blissful for us to have you on the show today. And we want to thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much. Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician who is incredibly talented, like Liz Lieber, 
or just somebody who has found it is following their bliss. So if that is you, please reach out to us at FYB at findingyourbliss.com. Also, what did you love about today's show? Are there any guests or topics you'd love us to feature on Finding Your Bliss? Write to us at FYB at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. I'm on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank our wonderful guest, Liz Lieber, for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie, producer Olivia Weatherall, audio engineer Juliana Yanitsiello, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Sierra Brown-Rodriguez, audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.